You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robin. Well, good afternoon. How are we doing today, City Church? <laughs> good times, and I hope you're getting that Yuletide spirit as we approach Christmas. And um, I love my job, and one of the things that I love about what I get to do here is I get to study and teach the Bible, the Word of God, which uh, is so fascinating to me. And one of the things that really fascinates me about the Bible is how this diverse group of authors within the Bible, uh, different you know kinds of guys, uh, like everything from philosophers to fishermen who were living on different continents, spoke different languages, yet they came up with the same theme throughout the entire Bible. And that one theme throughout the Bible is the theme of God's redemption of mankind. Uh, that God is reaching out to human beings to try and redeem them and bring them close to himself. And as we started this redemption series last Sunday, I wanted to give you a brief definition of redemption. It just simply means the act of delivering from or saving from sin, uh, purchasing back something previously sold. And in case uh, you were here last Sunday, you heard our conversation about what's called the scapegoat or the Azazel, and that was a goat that the high priest would put the sins of the people on this goat and send it out to the wilderness to carry away the sins of the people. And so last week, uh, as we thought about that and the application for us, is that Jesus is our scapegoat or our Azazel, and he carries away our sins. So when guilt and shame try and come back upon us from things we've done wrong in the past or things that we've struggled with in the present, uh, we say uh, that my Azazel says all is well, so we don't have to receive guilt and shame upon ourselves. But today, as we start the conversation on redemption, uh, we're going to connect it to middle school dating, okay? Uh, any of you remember dating in middle school? That was quite a fiasco, wasn't it? In fact, I brought a picture of myself in middle school when I was in those dating days, right? And how could the ladies resist the shark tooth necklace? Uh, that was a part of my game. And so this is the way it worked, is that uh, what we would do is we would write a little note on a little piece of paper uh, to the person that you wanted to go with, right? We called it going with them, or you ever heard some people call it going around? Uh, and then, you know, your parent, you get mad when your parents say, what are you going around, you know? Uh, but what you do is you write the little note, and the little note says, will you go with me, or will you go around with me? And then it has two check boxes. You can check yes, or you can check no. And you get the, the note, and you give it to your representative. I'm not, I'm not going to talk to that girl. You, you, I give it to my representative, my, my representative, and he goes in, takes the note, and she can check uh, yes or no there. And so since it worked for me so well in middle school, I just continued that modality of dating all the way up into college, see, because uh, I was a little awkward with the ladies. And so uh, I was in Spanish lab uh, one day, and I was sitting next to my friend Dave. And in Spanish lab, what you're supposed to be doing is you got your headset on, it's got a little microphone on it, and you're supposed to be listening to the Spanish words and then saying them out loud in Spanish. Uh, so Dave and I, we plugged our headsets into each other's consoles, and we were just sitting there talking the whole time. Um, and he says to me, Doug, you know, you really ought to ask Jeannie out. Um, and I think she's really cute. You know, I'd love to go out with her. I mean, you think she'd go out with me? And we're having this whole conversation. But what I didn't know is that Jeannie, my wife now, uh, was sitting on the other side of Dave, and she had turned her headset all the way down, so she was listening in on our conversation. <laughs> little cheese make chica, you know? So she knew 
what was going on. And uh, so I'm married today because my friend Dave represented. You know, he was my representative. And we love someone to represent us, don't we? Um, Even as we grow up, we want someone to represent us. If we have legal problems, we call an attorney to represent. Uh, We uh, are going to buy a house. We get a realtor to represent us. Uh, In our sports, we like someone who's going to represent us well. So in San Antonio, we root for the Spurs because they like represent our city. In the Olympics, uh, we want our athletes to represent our country well. We vote for people that are going to represent us as politicians in government. Um, we, we have all kinds of ways of, of representing. In fact, uh, a few months ago, I saw a local athlete that uh, I'm rooting for now. Uh, his name is Ramon Richards, and he plays for the Los Angeles Rams now. And I always root for uh, Ramon because he not only represents our city, San Antonio, but he represents my neighborhood because he went to Brackenridge High School. That's where my daughter goes now. And so we love people who represent us well. Don't we? We root for them. And if you go back to the Old Testament of the Bible, um, the, the Jewish people needed someone to represent them before the Lord. It wasn't something as frivolous as middle school dating, but it was about having a relationship with Almighty God. So uh, today we're going to explore the high priest, the person who represented the Jewish people to Uh, the Lord. Look at me at Exodus chapter 28, verse 29. It says, this will be a continual reminder that he, the high priest, does what? Represents the people when he comes before the Lord. And the first high priest was a guy by the name of Aaron. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Aaron. He was Moses' brother. Um, how would you like to be Moses' brother? Your parents are always comparing you to your brother. It's like, how come you can't part the sea like your brother? I mean, this is uh, probably an awkward situation to be in if you're Aaron, Moses' brother. But he was also a spokesperson for his older brother, uh, Moses, Aaron was. So I can imagine if they're in middle school and Moses wants to date and he sends his brother Aaron with a stone tablet over to the young lady, etch out yes or no if you'll go out with Moses, right? Um, because you know that when they grew up, Aaron would speak on behalf of Moses to the Pharaoh to let my people go, let the Jewish people go from Egypt, and if the Pharaoh didn't like what you had to say, I mean, he'd cut your hands off. That's how serious of a situation this was. So Aaron was perhaps a somewhat bold man. Uh, He had some courage to go represent his brother before the Pharaoh. Uh, Now, this guy, Aaron, uh, was also a guy that assisted his brother in battle. So like when the Jewish people were in this one battle against a people called the Amalekites, um, Moses and Aaron were kind of like up on this hill, this mountain or whatever, and they're looking down on the battle below. And if you've read the story, you know that as long as Moses had his hands in the air, the Jewish people would be winning the battle. But if he would lower his arms, the Jewish people would start losing the battle. So I'm thinking, you know, if I'm Moses and there's some dude that's been mean to me, you know, or said rude things to me, like I see him fighting, I'm like, lower my hands for just a minute, let him take a few punches, and then I raise him back up. But this is Aaron holds his brother's arms up in the air uh, to assist 
him in battle, to keep the people in a good place uh, in that battle. Now, this guy, Aaron, certainly wasn't perfect. I mean, he, he was the guy that initiated the melting down of a bunch of gold to make these gold idols, the golden calf. Maybe you've heard of that story. And certainly God wasn't happy about the golden calf uh, incident, but it was God's idea to take an imperfect man like Aaron and make him the high priest who would represent the people. And I think that gives us a bit of a glimpse into God's heart in that God is always trying to find ways to draw his people closer to himself. And perhaps you were brought here by God today because his heart for you is to draw you closer to himself, closer to connection, relationship with him. And uh, this guy, Aaron, was actually validated by God because you can't just roll up on a people group and tell them, I'm going to represent you to God. And there were these guys that didn't buy into Aaron's leadership there. They were known as the men of Korah, and they came against Aaron. And some of you who have read the story know that what happened to them when they rolled up on Aaron and tried to usurp him, they were sucked into uh, the, the earth into a sinkhole. Right, And I thought to myself, let it be a lesson to all the people that might come against their pastor, right? Um, I'm kidding. Not kidding. Kidding. Okay. Uh, but the, the, the priest had to wear these very specific clothes. So we'll see that in Exodus chapter 28. Look at verses 1 through 5. Hang with me for a whole five verses here. It says, call your brother Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So for those of you that are pregnant ladies, you know, here's some name recommendations for you. Shannon, Shannon, David, you thinking? Okay. Uh, Anyways, uh, set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister to me and be my priests, make sacred garments for for Aaron that are glorious and beautiful and Instruct all the skilled craftsmen who I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, have them make garments for Aaron that will distinguish him as a priest set apart for my service. These are the garments they are to make a chest piece, an ephod, a robe, a pattern tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons to wear when they serve me as priests. So, Give them fine linen cloth, gold thread, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread, like a red thread. This is the red thread of redemption. Now, I brought today a picture of the high priest in his uniform. And the first thing that you'll notice there, if you look at the bottom of the picture, is that he's not wearing any shoes. He's got bare feet. And some of you remember the story of when uh, Moses went before the burning bush in the presence of God. He was told to take off his shoes. Moses, because you're on holy ground. And so uh, the priest went in to holy ground, taking off his shoes. And you'll notice on his head, on his turban, there's this gold band around his turban, and it has an inscription that says, Holy to the Lord. And so this is his commitment to the holiness of God. And we don't often, uh, churches don't often talk about the holiness of God. People want to talk about the justice of God and people want to talk about the love of God. And those are significant things. But the holiness of God is the umbrella over which his love and 
his uh, justice reside. In fact, the Bible doesn't say he's just holy, but it says he's holy, holy, holy three times for emphasis there. It's a serious thing to be in the presence of holy, almighty God. And so it's like when my kid, my son, was a little guy, he asked me, Dad, how come God is clear? And what he's asking there is, uh, how come God is invisible to our physical eyes? And I alluded to this last week, but it's because his holy presence is more than what our physical bodies can handle to be in the presence of. Um, you know, when there's an eclipse, uh, we always look at it through special goggles, glasses, or a welding mask because the intensity of our sun. But that pales in comparison to the presence of holy God, almighty God. It's more than we can maintain. Um, so you also notice on his uniform are the pomegranates and gold bells pictured uh, in the next slide there. Uh, the hem of his robe would have uh, these woven places that, you know, it's little yarn that's made to look like pomegranates there, and there are also some bells there. The, the pomegranates are because of its fruitfulness, and if you see this next picture of a pomegranate cut open, you can see all the many seeds inside of the pomegranate. Um, it's prolific, and God wants his people to be fruitful with their lives. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply. He wants us to bear much fruit, and so prove to be his disciples there. Um, but the bells, the gold bells, are ringing constantly as a reminder of the importance of the mission of the high priest. Look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 35. Aaron will wear his robe whenever he ministers before the Lord, and the bells will tinkle. That's a funny way to say that to me. As he goes in and out of the Lord's presence in the holy place. If he wears it, look at this next part, he will not die. <laughs> it's a good thing. He's got to wear it right or uh, so he won't die. It's like uh, Aaron doesn't get casual Friday. He doesn't get to just chill. I mean, he better go in there with the right clothes on, thoroughly prepared in the presence of holy God. And some people think that, you know, later on in priests after Aaron who went in to represent them to God, if they heard the bells kind of just clank on the ground, they knew that the high priest went in there unprepared and he died before the Lord. In fact, there's uh, one legend or, you know, I've not been able to find a source on this one yet, but some people have said that the high priest may have had a rope tied around himself and if he died in there, they could pull him out of there because it's a serious thing to be in the presence of holy God. But then there's the ephod and the sash. Uh, so you're like, what's an ephod? I mean, anybody getting an ephod for Christmas? You know, you're ordering on Amazon, the ephod. It, well, we don't order ephods. It's the vest that goes on the outside of the priest's robe. So if you bring that picture back up of uh, the whole priest outfit there, you can see it's got a lot of gold in it and it's got some uh, uh, other colors in the ephod. It's got some blue, which represents the sky or the heavenly realm. It's also got some purple in it, which represents the royalty of Almighty God. And then it's got some scarlet or red thread, uh, red material in the ephod. And the, the, the dye that they made the ephod out of into the red. The way they got it was they took this one certain kind of worm and they would uh, crush it, dry it out and crush it into a powder and it created this brilliant red, vibrant crimson hue that they used to make the priestly garments out of. And remember that worm because it represents someone very important that we're gonna see here in just a minute. 
but we'll move on to the next part, which is the breastplate of the high priest. And they would tuck inside of that breastplate a couple of different stones known as Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim were used by the priest to get a yes or no answer from the Lord in prayer on behalf of the people. So if the, the high priest was going in there and asking the Lord, are we supposed to move the tabernacle or are we supposed to go to war or do this or that? Uh, they believe, some believe that the Urim and Thummim would light up in a certain way, indicating a yes or no answer from the Lord. So they use these two stones uh, uh, in prayer there. But look at this next picture of the breastplate. I saw a great display of this in Jerusalem. And it's these four rows of three stones, which makes a total of 12, right? And that would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. But I want to draw your attention to the stone that's in the upper left. What color is that stone? Red, right? It's like a blood red color. Um, And that is representative of Judah's stone. The blood red stone represents someone very important that we'll see here in just a minute. But let's look at the next part of the priestly garment, and that would be uh, the shoulder pieces there. Uh, It would be two sardonic stones, which are also called remembrance stones, and they would have engraved on them, each would have six tribes of Israel completing the 12, and it represents the priests carrying the people of God into the presence of God because the shoulders represent where you carry the burden. And here in just a minute, we're going to see someone who carries the people on his shoulders into the presence of God. But let me stop here just for a minute and take a time out because what I'm acknowledging is that I could geek out on priestly garments and Old Testament stuff all day long. Um, And your eyes would start to glaze over more and more and you would start to get sleepy. Um, So let me stop here and let's ask the question, what does all this have to do with our lives today? I mean, why do we need to understand anything about an ancient priest uniform from the Old Testament of the Bible? And I'll tell you why. And some of you are not going to like this part. But it's because you're a sinner, and so am I. We've sinned, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin is an offense to holy God. And you and I need someone to represent us to God. And the priest's uniform represents the only one person who can represent us to God, that being our high priest, Jesus Christ. And from all of this, I've gleaned the one big idea that my Redeemer represents. My Redeemer represents. If you're looking for someone good to represent you, there's no one better in all the universe than Jesus Christ to represent you before holy God. He's the only priest ever to live a perfect life and die and rise again from the dead. He can represent. My Redeemer represents. And I'm going to ask you when I point to you to say that big idea out loud. Don't forget that whole sinkhole thing. That could happen to you. Those of you in the video cafe are watching online. So let's say it out loud together. Ready? My Redeemer represents. My Redeemer represents. Represents. He represents the high priest. Look at me at Hebrews 7.23. It 
There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf and thus on our behalf. Did you know that right now, for those of you that know Christ, Jesus is interceding before the Father God for you even right now uh, as we worship him. He's interceding before, praying for you before the Father. So my Redeemer represents the high priest, but my Redeemer also represents the first stone on the breastplate. Judah's stone was blood red, okay? Uh, does anybody know uh, which tribe Jesus was from? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Judah. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, the red stone on the high priest's uh, breastplate. My Redeemer also represents the crushed worm. There's this messianic, prophetic, uh, I guess, prediction, if you will, from Psalm 22, verse 6, where Messiah says, but I am a worm and not a man. And when I drilled down and learned more about this particular worm that they used to create the red dye to make the red material in the priestly garments, it's the crimson worm. The scientific name is the Kermes elysis. And I, I wanted to read a few things I learned about this particular worm. Uh, when this worm is ready to lay eggs, she climbs up a tree and attaches herself to it. The worm's body attached to the wood, a hard crimson shell forms, a shell so hard and so secured to the wood that it can only be removed by tearing apart the body which would kill the worm. The crimson worm under the protective shell lays eggs under her body, and when the larvae hatch, the baby worms are born. They remain under the protective shell and feeding on the living body of the mother worm for three days. Then the mother worm dies and her body excretes a crimson or scarlet dye that stains the wood to which she is attached and also her baby worms. They remain crimson colored for their entire lives. On day four, the tail of the mother, uh, the mother worm pulls up into her head, forming a heart-shaped body that is no longer crimson, but is turned into a white, snow-white wax looking like a patch of wool on the tree. It then begins to flake off and drop to the ground, looking like snow. Does that remind anyone of a prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, that says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. They are red like crimson. I will make them as white as wool. Because my Redeemer, your Redeemer, represents before God. My Redeemer also represents the stones on the high priest's shoulders because he carries the burden. And we see this in the Gospels in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, look at verse 3. It says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, look at this last part, he will joyfully carry it home on his what? 
shoulders. He's not begrudgingly or out of obligation carrying the lost sheep home, but he joyfully picks it up and carries it home. It's like you parents that have children in the car seat in the minivan, they fall asleep on a long road trip when you're coming home and they're not going to be able to make their way into the house, are they? So what do you do? You scoop them up into your arms and you carry them home. You carry them into the house and you put them in their bed and they have no idea how they got there. They just wake up safe in the morning. Uh, They don't know all the details of how it happened, but you carried them home safely. It reminded me of when my family and I would take these trips to the river when my kids were little and the stream was shallow enough that adults could walk through it. But sometimes the current was swift enough where a little child gets swept downstream. And so my kids would start to get shaky and I would pick them up and carry them to safety. See? And right now, even though you may not know it, some of you are being carried by God. Things seem dire in your life. Things seem confusing, even dark. But he's carrying you home to safety. Would anybody receive that today, you know? He's carrying us on his shoulders. Right on. You can clap for that. Look, so over the years, I've heard and read probably hundreds of stories and illustrations that kind of reveal the gospel. And one of my favorite ones, that, and by the way, I type these in, I collect them, and I like to evaluate these stories as to how biblical they are and how much they match what the Gospels teach us in the Bible. And there's this one story that I loved that I read years ago, and it was about this bus driver. And this bus driver had a group of 40 kids that he would take home uh, from school every day. And one day he was going home, and he was on this downhill stretch. It was kind of around a bend. They lived in a mountainous area and the brakes went out on the bus. And he's thinking, how am I going to get these kids safely home? Because if he swerved to the right, there was a sheer cliff. That wouldn't work. If he swerved to the left, they would go off an embankment and everyone would die. But he remembered that at the bottom of the hill, there's a gate. And behind the gate, there's a field. And he thinks, you know, if I can just plow into that gate, it'll slow down the bus. And in the field, the bus will slow down and I can save these 40 kids. And so he's hauling down the hill and he comes around the bend and he notices there's a little boy sitting on the gate waving at the bus, but it's too late to abort. And he plows through the gate, instantly killing that little boy sitting on the gate. But his plan worked. And the bus slowed down and stopped in the field. Well, the first ones on the scene were the emergency workers. They arrived. And then second were parents and grandparents of the children on the bus. And one parent came to the emergency worker in charge of the scene and asked, where's the bus driver? Man, I want to thank him for saving my child. And the emergency worker said, well, the bus driver was in severe shock. We had to take him to the hospital. And that parent said, yeah, I totally understand uh, after what he's been through today. 
And the emergency worker said, man, I don't know if you do understand because the boy that was sitting on that fence was the bus driver's son. And you know, that story touches our hearts because it gives us a sense of what God the Father felt by allowing his son to be killed on the cross. But here's where the story goes wrong in just this one little nuance. And I'll show it to you in Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse 27. It says, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he, and look at this last part, he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. In the story of the bus driver, The little boy ended up on the gate by accident. And that's where it's not accurate to the gospel. Because in the gospel, it was no accident that Jesus ended up on the gate. He willingly and voluntarily climbed up there. Why did he do that? Because you matter to him. And he was doing everything he could to bring you to the Father. And my sense is, is that he's brought some here today because his heart is to connect you with God. So could we bow our heads and close our eyes now? I think that would be appropriate. And as we bow before Almighty God, if you would like to meet him today, you've never known God. Perhaps you just want to talk to him in your own heart and mind. You don't have to say it out loud. I'm not trying to point you out and embarrass you in any way. This is between you and God. But you might just say to him, look, God, I know I've sinned. And that is an offense to your holiness. I know that. It's not news to me. I, uh, I'm fully aware of my imperfections and sin. But in these moments, the best I understand it, I'm making a choice right now. And my choice is to believe that Jesus Christ climbed onto the gate to save me. He voluntarily offered himself on the cross to not only pay the penalty for my sin, but to carry me home someday and be with you. Oh God, if we could see what's happening in the spiritual heavenly realms right now, we would not just see the battle that's been raging for people's souls in this very room, but we would also see the angels of heaven partying down because children have just entered into their new eternal home through the gospel of Jesus. We can't thank you enough for the grace that you're extending our way. We can't thank you enough, some of us who are going through very dark times right now, very confusing times right now. But what we do know is that we're being carried through the troubled waters home. And we long for that day when we wake up after a short sleep and we see 
glory. But until that day, we embrace your grace and extend it to all who will receive it in this life. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.